Good morning, New Orleans. Pooch Brothers Radio Show 90.3 FM. The dawn of the phase one of the reopening of New Orleans. Oh. May f- today's Friday. I'm sorry. Today's May 13th. Happy birthday to my little sister. She was born on Friday the 13th. Uh, she's definitely a curse. <laughs> Just kidding. Love you, sis. All right. Booze Brothers Radio Show 90.3 FM. Like I said, today is May 13th, Wednesday. Tomorrow on Thursday the 14th. It's supposed to be the last day of our, um, how did American show up with this? Stay at home order. And it's uh, highly encouraged that everybody was supposed to stay at home. And uh, Boozer's Radio Show is here to pass on that word. Now, if you guys uh, haven't heard, on the 15th of May, we will start our phase one. And uh, a lot of restaurants will be opening back up at 25% capacity. Um, we will not have any tattoo parlors, massage parlors, spas, or nightclubs or adult venues open until possibly phase two or three. There's uh, hasn't been any any confirmation of that just yet. Uh, we do have special guests coming in the building all day today, so make sure you guys stay tuned in Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Guaranteed. Uh, we might go on a little bit later throughout the week. Uh, in the building today, just walked in. How are you doing, sir? Pretty well. All right. Go ahead. Pull that mic up. It's good. I already sanitized it. Okay. Go ahead. Pretty well. All right. Let's see if we can get you on the mic. Go ahead. Talk into it. Can you hear me? Vaguely. I'm sorry. Uh, barely. Go ahead. Say one, two, three. Can you hear me? One, two, three. All right. Better? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We have to do this thing called uh, turning on the microphone. It's a... Uh, very, it's usually very useful if you're uh, <laughs> trying to listen in, yeah. All right. Well, in this, uh, please introduce yourself, sir. Uh, my name is Omero Lopez. I'm the executive director and managing attorney with ISLA, Immigration Services and Legal Advocacy. It's a small nonprofit here in New Orleans that focuses on providing direct pro bono representation for detained immigrants in detention in Louisiana. Fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it, especially on short notice. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a journey these last couple of weeks just trying to get guests and people comfortable with coming on the show and uh, feeling comfortable just being around people. And here we are, like, probably four feet away from each other. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's I've got li- my mask. We're good. All right. Yeah, yeah I sanitize everything. I made sure I – do you need some more? I'm good. I'm good. Right Thanks. Here. Shout out to 7-3 Distillery. Hook us up. Uh, Booze Brothers Radio Show, man. All right. So, please – uh, inform us, how can we help out your organization? So East Lab, um, obviously the main way that we get helped out is through donations. Um, we don't have any major funding from any kind of major grant or anything. We're primarily donation run. And so individualized donations is, is the main um, way that we can get help. Obviously, right now, a ton of people are, are struggling, right? right? It's not just us. Um, so we understand that people can't donate right now or can't get involved in that way. And we always have opportunities for people to get involved in other ways. And right now, with remote access and inability to really go to the detention centers or do anything of, of that sort, what we do have available is something that's called a parole project, which is we are having folks fill out, reach out to family members, contact clients, family members, collect documentation, put together what's called a parole packet, which is basically a packet requesting that ICE release somebody okay. from detention for humanitarian reasons, whether okay. it be for a medical reason or whether it be because this person just shouldn't be in detention for any other humanitarian reason. Obviously, we believe the majority and most all people shouldn't be in detention. Immigration detention is not necessary. Right. Um, but nonetheless, they, within those confines that we are working, we are still dem- demanding that certain people be released given the context which in, their, which in which they're being detained. Okay. Um, I mean, this is all great, man. I, I try to not do anything dumb last night. I try to be as sober as I could so I could have this conversation <laughs> with you. Because I've always felt empowered to help out like my people, like, la gente, like people who look like me but aren't represented well in, this, in the city. Um, so I've worked with a lot of people in the service industry, and they come and go. I've seen uh, people from Mexican descent, uh, Honduran descent, uh, Venezuelan. Uh, I met a lot of great people out here in the city. And unfortunately, like they come and they go and it's because of seasonal work or uh, visas expire, student visas expire, whatever the case may be. But I've met uh, something. I mean, as I walk through New Orleans, I kind of stick out just as being uh, this brown kid 
with nice ass hair and uh <laughs> yeah and people i i always get questions in spanish and i'll try and direct them to whatever they're doing or help out as much as i can but the as the years have gone on i've seen less and less uh people working in the french quarter and i see the the jobs are getting contracted to uh other companies and then say street work uh one of the best prime example or construction even i've that's when i start seeing more of like la gente of like my my people out here and they're working on they when construction was going on at bourbon street two years ago i saw them all the time and then as those jobs get finished and they wrap up i mean they're always on the move they're going to other places how do we get them a stable place to live how can we help out uh just people who are traveling and working to, uh, as a seasonal job so i think one of the things is the seasonal job thing right people leave and go wherever the work is yeah but another part of it is you know as latinos we generally try to stay keep a low profile yes because of the consequences that come with getting picked up by ice and you know issues of those sorts um New Orleans has historically had the largest Honduran population outside of Honduras. Absolutely. So it's not that the people aren't here. Yeah. It's that they tend to not make themselves visible because of the problems that exist. Thank you for saying that. And uh, so what we need to do is make the city be more welcoming. And yes. not just the city of New Orleans. The city of New Orleans, of course. And the city of New Orleans has done things such as setting up a welcoming city, being considered a welcoming city not cooperating with ICE and turning people over. But we need to get Jefferson Parish on that as well. Okay. Um, we need to get people out in Jefferson Parish demanding that, you know, they don't cooperate with ICE, that they don't, you know, report people, that they, that they provide resources and availability for immigrants in the city to be able to access um, what the, whatever needs they have, right? What we have in Louisiana and what we have nationally is what we're seeing now, right? Essential workers. Who's yes. still out there doing the work? Construction workers, people picking... Farmers. Farmers, people picking, you know, the food that we're eating and that we're relying on. Yes, sir. And then we want to turn around and tell them, yeah, but you're not welcome in our in our community and in our country. We're not going to have you here. Right. That's not cool. Not at all. Um, and we worked earlier this year or towards the end of last year, early this year with the city to try to get the city to fund immigration defense. Um, we have an immigration court here in, in New Orleans. The only non-detained immigration court in this area is in New Orleans. The next one is in, in Memphis. So that means people who are, they're not legal, but they're still going to court? Undocumented. Undo okay, I'm sorry. Everybody's legal. <laughs> Thank you for uh, clearing that <laughs> up. All right, so undocumented people, they're allowed to go to this court, and there's no ICE uh, presence, there's no... No, there, I mean, it's the, so if you get picked up by ICE and you get sent to detention, you have to go to court at, in front of the detention court. So there's courts that handle people that are detained and only handle those cases. Okay. And that's where we primarily practice at Isla because there's very, very few people doing that work. Yes. And, but in New Orleans, you have what's called the non-detained court, which is people that get out of detention by paying a bond or ICE, when they arrested them, decided... We're gonna, you're here undocumented, but we're not going to send you to detention. We're gonna let you basically continue living in the country, but you still have to go to court. Okay. And so they give them a process so that they, they're being put in process to be deported, but they can defend themselves. They can bring an attorney, they can present a case, they can you know, do whatever they need to do to try to make a process for them to be able to stay in the country. Fantastic, all and right. And so that exists in New Orleans. The, the Orleans Parish. Immigration court is in Orleans Parish. It's at right across the street from, um, it's at One Canal Place, right across the street from the casino. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm, I know so, that address. Yeah. <laughs> so it's there. It's really weird because you're in this mall, right. this high-end mall, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, here's immigration court. <laughs> yeah. So that's where, but that's where the immigration court is. Okay. And so if you're not detained, you go to court there, and anyone anywhere in the state of Louisiana that's not detained that has immigration proceedings goes to that court. And people in South Mississippi and South Alabama and sometimes even people from the Florida Panhandle. So immigration wow. is this weird thing that kind of extends yeah. to different areas. It ends up on the corner of Canal and Street. It ends up on the corner of Canal. Wow. Yeah. And right. so what we did was we worked with the city and um, council member Jason Williams introduced a proposal to get funding for ISLA and the public defender's office so that we could get funding to represent people that are detained. Okay. city funding where the city would provide money for anyone in the new orleans area who was detained by ice and is being held in the detention center 
to be represented by either ISLA or the Public Defender's Office. Awesome. Unfortunately, that didn't go work out through. Oh. Um, so that's another area where people can help. Reach out to your representatives. Okay. Tell Please. them to fund this kind of work, that this is important work, and put it into the next year's budget. We're starting... I know the budget discussion is off, but start having those conversations, start laying the groundwork already. Okay. Uh, a question someone asked me to bring up, census 2020, yes. if you're undocumented, fill it out still. Yes. Please. Still okay. fill it out, still get counted. Um, that's how money, federal money comes into the state. Yes. And so make sure that you get yourself counted, make sure that the city is being counted and the state is being counted. The one thing that happens in this area is that detained immigrants, right? Louisiana has... We don't know the exact numbers now, but it seems somewhere between five to 6,000 people in detention, immigrants in detention in the state of Louisiana. In the state. Uh, yeah. All right. Unfortunately. Though they'll get counted. The detention centers will make sure they count them, and those areas in central, rural, isolated Louisiana will get funding for folks that they're detaining and trying to deport and typically deporting from the country. So they're going to get funded for a population that they're trying to kick out of the country. Wow. And they're going to get money for that. So locally, we definitely need to also make sure that we're getting counted and getting the money that's supposed to be coming to the city and to the state. All right. I thank you for clearing that up because uh, I census 20, uh, the census just in general, when I was, I was in the military, so it kind of counted. We I mean, I'm sure it did. Uh, we they told us to fill these paperwork out. All right. And pass it in. And that was it. It was in an office. And we just yeah. thought, check, check, check. Cool. Send it out uh, as I'm a civilian out here and working and now i see i mean a lot of people just kind of no i'll get to it later or just not do it at all and uh i mean that i think that's why we're in the uh, the small crisis that we're in here in new orleans uh during this outbreak uh so uh, now with this outbreak on so there's been detainees who have contacted the virus because they're in these facilities correct right all right there are approximately i think as of last night's report there was 134 cases in detention in louisiana 134 There's cases in people confirmed of con contracting COVID in the state of Louisiana okay. in detention centers. So there's eight active detention centers in the state of Louisiana. Jeez. Um, and these are all in central, rural, isolated areas of the state. We're talking about places like Pine Prairie, Louisiana, Gina, Louisiana, Richwood, Jonesboro, um, places that people generally don't hear about like, i've only heard about one of those jonesboro <laughs> that's the only one i recognize from that list that you just said right i have no clue where those other places and are the purpose of that the best way to define it is they're like near alexandria okay right which again is not in itself a major area no it's not a bad and so these are typically three to four hours away from any major metropolitan area right no offense to baton rouge don't really consider it a major metropolitan area. Okay. From New Orleans, the closest one is about three, um, three hours away drive. From Memphis, it's about four to five. From Dallas, it's about three. From Houston, it's about four. So you have these areas that are so isolated and removed from anywhere else. Do you have an opinion why that is? The, my argument, obviously, is you remove people from s social networks where they can have support and attorneys to represent them okay. and you make it much more difficult for them to be able to fight their case but however the government's argument is that it's cheap it's yeah. much cheaper to house people in central louisiana than it is than it is to house people in the outskirts of new orleans which i get but if cheapness was really the argument you're going for and saving taxpayer money then there are alternatives to detention that cost anywhere between 90 cents a day up to $17 a day per person to have them in a, in a process where they can check in, where they can have a social worker, where they can have, where they can be in the community versus having them detained where they pay the parish or the prison, the private prison that's detaining them $67 a day per person and ICE nationally spends $250 a day, per, approximately $250 a day per person per day to detain them. So if, wow. if it's really an argument about money, there are alternatives that make it a lot cheaper. To me, the only thing that really makes sense is you hold them in these areas that makes it much more difficult for them to get attorneys, for them to be represented, for them to have contact and availability to communicate and work with their family to present their case and be able to fight to stay in the country. Jeez, all right, so now if they're getting detained, obviously they're not I mean, they're getting uh, detained with whatever's on them, on their persons. 
uh, as they go to these facilities, are they earning any kind of wages? Is it like, is it like a prison where they kind of work? It is. A pr- I mean, it's not like a prison. It's a prison. It is a prison. It's called a detention center. Correct. Um, it's a. It's supposed to be civil detention, but and especially what in Louisiana, what has happened is these are detention. These are places that used to be prisons. So in 2017. Governor Edwards signed a group of bills to decriminalize and depopulate the prisons in the state of Louisiana to get us away from being the number one incarcerator in the world, which we were. And I think we might be again. I'm not positive. Arizona, I mean, Oklahoma became it for a little bit, and then I think Louisiana's back to it. But that doesn't count immigration detention. Even before this big increase in immigration detention in Louisiana, Louisiana had approximately 2,000 to 2,500 detained immigrants on any given day in the state of Louisiana in the middle of or early 2018. That's like a like a middle school. That's uh, the size of as many kids as anybody. I think that's the only thing I could relate it, relate it to is having 2,000 people in one location would be like a elementary school, a, a middle school. And then, I mean, these are grown adults, right. children, women. It doesn't – it ranges in sexes, here, right? Here it's thankfully – Louisiana does not detain children. Okay. And so it's men and women. Men and women. Um, primarily men. The majority of the folks being detained in, in Louisiana are men, but it's men and women both. One of the detention centers is solely exclusively women. There's a few detention centers that are combined that are mixed men and women, but the majority of them are men. Um, I think it's about 70, 70%, give or take, are men. And you said they're allowed to work while they're in the detention yeah, center? Yeah, they get paid a dollar a day for working in the kitchen or cleaning or doing things like that. There's actually a lawsuit going on in Washington state that is demanding that these private prisons actually pay people properly yeah. as employees. Because if you're not a prison, allegedly, you're not a prison, you shouldn't be treating people then like prisoners. They should have additional rights. Yes. And those additional rights should include labor rights. And those labor rights should then include fair wages that you're not providing them. This is a, I mean, this is all great. I'm trying to stay on one on subjects, no, no, but there's so much stuff. <laughs> uh, I recently read on, I think it was an Instagram post on Boat Nola that um, these, uh, I want to say, sanitary workers. They uh, mm-hmm. they were they put up they were went on strike right. uh, two weeks ago maybe, mm-hmm. and uh, then they were replaced because they were complaining with prison workers or was this detainees from a. Uh, Immigration. No, this is prison work. Okay, the, okay. the detainees do not have the contract the way the city, the, the way the prisons do, because the prisons are run by the states, right? Yes. Or by the state and by the counties and parishes. Um, the prison, the private immigration prisons are run by private companies. So Geo Group and LaSalle Corrections are the two main private prison companies that run immigration detention in the state of Louisiana. And there's two detention centers that are run by the parish. Um, Allen Parish detains folks, as does St. Tammany. St. Tammany is a process, what's called a processing center, so they hold people for 72 hours or less to transfer them from where they get picked up first, sent there to ICE, and then get sent to whatever detention they're going to be long-term. Allen Parish does hold people long-term, but that's about 30-some-odd people that are detained there. Okay. The majority of folks, the other, you know, Four to 5,000 are detained in private immigration prisons that are run either by the GEO group or by LaSalle Corrections. And those are contracted with ICE to then, they, ha- they staff up, they do all their things. So they don't have the same kind of contracts and the same kind of arrangement that do the private state or the, that do the state prisons to be able to contract people out to come and do the work. That doesn't mean that they can't, it's just it doesn't exist yet. Um, I don't want it to, no. but you know, it, it, I'm sure it's something on their um, on their radar to do in order to be able to make more money. Because yes. they are private companies trying to make money. Yeah, they're it. looking for profit. Right. Absolutely. Uh, as any business that is small to big, everyone's looking for a profit. Nobody's right. working for free. Uh, so I'm I'm originally from El Paso, Texas, uh, okay. border city, born and raised. I'm originally from uh, South the Valley, the Green, Rio Grande Valley. So oh yeah, all right. Further so. South Texas. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, Texas boys. This is what we do. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, Tex-Mex food is the best. Uh, I don't care what <laughs> anybody says. <laughs> um, but all right. So growing up in those border cities, I remember going to Juarez when I was younger and just seeing people knowing that they're illegally crossing. Um, the, uh, no papers or whatever they said, but again, they would come on this side of i mean they come on the united states side work and then just go back yeah and 
it's a going back and forth is not, is not a big thing at the point at the points at the border of entry. It's a uh, people that don't live in these border cities or border towns will never realize how easy it is to get to and from. Um, and it wasn't until this pandemic that they really started shutting things down. And nine eleven was another example when they right. were uh, really stopping people and asking, "All right, what's your purpose here?" and looking for people other than um, other than Latinos. So people get here to New Orleans. How they're? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming by bus. I'm assuming they're catching a ride, and then I, where? How do they? Where do they live? I mean, cousins, uncles. It just yeah. Like I said earlier, right? New Orleans has the largest Honduran population outside of Honduras, mm-hmm. and one thing that we've seen through immigration is people go to where their people are. Okay. Right. So. You look at um, you look at places like in California where you have San, you know you have Sacramento, yes, uh, you know San Diego. It's not San Diego. Los Angeles. It's not L.A. Yeah. It's Los Angeles and Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe is the actual name <laughs> of the, <laughs> Thank of the you. city. Yes, right. So it's not like there's this history there and there's this connection right. to that to those places. And talking about border towns, you know, being from a border town as well, you you walk you travel the border and you have Laredo and Nuevo Laredo. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, Progreso and Nuevo Progreso. You have these towns that used to be one town and then got divided. And the families still exist. The history, that connection is still there. And that's why, yeah, being from a border town, you know that. You see that constant back and forth between it. And there, it's a river, right? Yes. New Orleans and Algiers. Oh, right? we have perfect a river. example, my guy. We make this connection yeah. on a regular basis. And that's what exists on the border. And what we end up getting then is people from... New York and the Midwest talking about immigration, which not that they shouldn't have an opinion about it, but that they should be better educated at going down to review it and see what the situation is. Absolutely. Right. You have Steve King from New York talking about how terrible immigrants are and all that. You don't live there. You don't know what it is. You don't know what the border looks like right. and what is happening there. And so in having the, these conversations as to what should happen, the voice, the to me, the main voice having this discussion should be folks from the border, right? Last time we had Republicans talking about comprehensive immigration reform, the main leaders of that were George W. Bush, you know, technically not a Texan. I will never really claim him as a Texan, <laughs> but, you know, came they from Texas. They lived in Compton for since I know. <laughs> came from Texas, and then um, John McCain from Arizona. Again, border towns, people who, who understand, or border states, people who understand what's going on there. And that's how we should be having the discussion whenever we're having the policy discussion about what's going on on the border, is it should be a policy discussion through and by people at the border and who know what, what that situation looks like long term in, in, in more in the context of what actually is happening. Um, but how do people, I guess to get back to your main question, how do people get to New Orleans? It's family. Yeah, family tends to draw them, right? You have people who live here who have been here for long periods of time either applying to bring their family members or family members that are coming in you know, illegally or overstaying their visas, coming in and staying and reunited with families here. There's, there's those pull factors. There's also the push factors of what's happening in the home country that leads people to yes. flee. And so there's the push and the pull factors that coalesce and folks end up coming here. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm stuck like in the... I got like I'm stuck in the middle of the tracks because uh, I do want I do want to help you. I don't want to see people suffer. And I know like down in Mexico, I, I had family who was living in Juarez during the wars. So during the cartel wars. So I I know the violence. I, I understand. Nobody wants to live in a war zone. Nobody wants to be stuck in the middle of bloodshed or whatever beef you have that's not even concerning you. So when I saw the uh, immigrant caravan, I think it was quoted as uh, coming. I was all right. I understand. And then it was just that fear, like, what if they just overtake that part of the city? Because it was, it was fed into me, like, by the, yeah. by the media. And I was like, wait, what am I? I'm from that border city. I know it's not that easy. And growing up, there was already a wall. There was already some fence. And now uh, people are up in wars, like, oh, we don't need a wall. We don't need this. It was already there. It, I mean, it just has to be extended a little more. And, I, uh, again, I, I don't want to see people suffer. But when you're trying to escape... Uh, life changing i mean when you're trying to escape death really when you're trying to escape death what else do you do but you know take care of your family and do what you got to do to to get up get get out get away um there was a incident i want to say in 2019 where 
in Mississippi, there was uh, some farmers who were working at a chicken farm, uh, all got detained, left their kids at school, no one to pick them up. One of the saddest things I think I ever saw on Facebook was this little girl crying like my dad's innocent. He didn't do nothing. He's a hard worker. And there was no one there to pick up this little girl from school, like no family, no friends. And it was the most heartbreaking thing I saw, I think, in that time of my life. And uh, I, I sent money to whatever pizza they were trying to get pizza for the kids or um, they they had the kids staying with friends and family or the, even the school. I think they set up a, a overnight at the YMCA or the, the gym. I'm not too sh- I can't remember. But um, things like this happen all the time. Yeah, this is, again, immigration detention is, to me, one of the cruelest forms of detention. There's, it's unnecessary. Yes. Because the majority of folks that are being detained fall under discretionary detention. There is something called mandatory detention, which the law requires that ICE detain people in certain contexts. Including children? Not necessarily children. Children, you know, would be that children is a whole nother area of immigration detention. And we can get into that into some more detail. But with with adult detention, basically, you're detaining people because you think they're a flight risk or they're a danger to the community. Oftentimes, those folks have already gone. If there is a criminal, which there isn't always a criminal underlying basis, if there is a criminal underlying basis as to why this person is being detained as an immigrant, They've often already gone through the criminal process and at the criminal court either served their time or the the criminal judge determined this person is not a flight risk or it would be satisfied by having paid this much of a bond, right? And then they get placed in immigration detention. In immigration detention, an immigration judge then decides, no, even though a criminal judge has already decided this, I'm still going to say you don't deserve to be released because I think you're a, you're a danger to the community or I think you're a flight risk. Wow. And these are, again, oftentimes folks who have no criminal underlying basis and the only reason we're detaining them is because they, en- they either entered the country illegally or they entered legally but overstayed their visa. They're not, they don't have the proper paperwork to be in the United States. All of these folks that were working at the, at the poultry plants in Mississippi, the significant majority of them were simply undocumented in the United States. No criminal background, no issue with crimes, had never committed a crime. They were picked up in this huge, massive raid. And how many of those poultry plants, who are the people that were committing the crime by hiring someone who's undocumented, how many of them got some kind of fine, some kind of prison sentence, some kind of charge brought against them? Do you know the answer? Because I don't. It's zero. Zero. Okay. This is the second time this has happened in Mississippi, though. So this happened in 2010, I believe, or 2011 in Mississippi. Okay. In Laurel, Mississippi, there was a huge raid like this. And then again, in 2019, there was another huge raid in Mississippi on the poultry plants. Both times, or neither time, did the companies, who are the ones who have committed the crime. It is not a crime to work without permission in the United States. It's a crime to hire someone who doesn't have permission to work Hmm. in the United States. The employer is the one committing the crime, right? Not the employee. So, and you're uh, over. I mean, hundreds, hundreds of people. It was about eight hundred people that were eight hundred that were raided, and it was the largest immigration workplace raid in the U.S. history. Wow, I didn't even realize the numbers were that high. Eight hundred people were detained in 2019 in one poultry. What'd you call it? I think it was in three three different poultry plants if i remember correctly poultry plants, okay. um, these are the places where they they raise chickens and only to end up in grocery stores correct. okay and undocumented workers working there hired by a company who has paid zero in fines has paid zero in fines did not get any charges brought against no them. nights in jail no nights in jail for the empl- for the employer and again i don't necessarily call for people to be sent to jail my point is the discrepancy, right? right? The people who were being exploited, because then if you talk, if you look into the conditions of these poultry plants, yeah, it's definitely exploitative labor. Oh yeah, have you been in those? They stink. Yeah, they smell. They stink. It's hard work. You get, you're breathing you don't get in workers' poop. comp coverage. Yeah, if you cut man. Yourself or something happens, and the employers know that you're undocumented, so they use the threat of potential deportation or the threat of ICE against you as part of keeping you in line yeah. and so that you don't make a complaint, you're not a whistleblower, those kinds of things. And then here comes in ICE, here comes in the Department of Justice and the Department of Labor who co- coordinated to do this raid. 
and the people that get punished are the workers who yeah. did a job. They were doing just the job, putting money on the table, sending it back to their family, whatever it is, their business, but hired by the person, and he's not getting any repercussions. Right. He just has to look for more. And they're back in business. Yeah. And they're rolling again. They just got to look for workers. Rehiring undocumented. Man. Uh, It's such a sad scenario in Mississippi, Um, which brings me to another question. So we've we've been behind. We've been following um, this Hard Rock Hotel collapse. Yes. And uh, are are you familiar with it? Yes, I, uh, we represented on the immigration side, um, Joel. Nice. Okay, Joel Romero, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, months ago, Hard Rock Hotel collapses, and there was a gentleman who was recording shortly before it collapsed. He went around the, the job site uh, right before they put the pool in, I believe, and was recording the beams, uh, the layout of the, the building, and was pretty much in Spanish saying, these things are bending, it's not going to hold. Uh, this is poorly built and then of course the collapse happens that gentleman who was uh, documenting everything in the video and even tried to show his supervisors from my understanding he got deported on because he was on a fishing trip illegally fishing he had a previous um, he had an order of deportation that he had been deported through a previous attorney had he had had his case he had been ordered deported he had tried to appeal that case um, and then the appeal had been denied he was working with ice he had a letter from ice saying that he was to show up i think at the ice office to talk to them about him arranging his own deport his own removal from the country right him leaving with voluntarily yes yes. with like being able to arrange his children if they were going to go with him his wife or being able to put his things in order leave things leave on his own whatever that situation was going to whatever form that was going to take giving him the dignity of being able to leave on his own Okay. And so that that process was in place. That was being worked out. He had an appointment to go and check in with ICE. He had been doing check-ins with ICE. And then he got arrested by Fish and Wildlife for allegedly illegally fishing when he was already in his truck. And he had a legal fishing license. And what they charged him with was not having a fishing license and not having a driver's license which he wasn't driving. He wasn't the driver in the car. He had a fishing license. And then he immediately got transferred from Fish and Wildlife to ICE or to Border Patrol, who then transferred him to ICE. I'm saying this because I'm uh, documented. I would fight those guys (laughs) in the (laughs) face. Get away from me, you fisher. (laughs) I don't don't know what insult I would throw at them, but yeah, I would not let some guys like them detain me. But again, more blessings to him because he actually did the right thing and just cooperating uh unfortunately i believe his wife and kids are still here yes okay so this man survived he lived through a collapse a hard rock hotel collapse where uh three of his friends actually perished and went to go fish just get his mind off things do whatever he had to do just to get away from the job site and then yeah, gets detained. This video is released, and do do we know where he's at now? He's unfortunately been deported, and he's back in Honduras. So this gentleman, hardworking gentleman who was who lived through a Hard Rock Hotel collapse, is deported. He's in Honduras, and his family's stuck here, and right. they got to work for themselves now. I'm assuming, right. and whatever funds he could raise over there, I'm sending him down here, maybe. I who mean, knows? That's between them, that's, yeah. right? Like the family figures Which, that out. Yeah, I don't think that's anyone's business. Who, how much money is being sent or who's taking care of who. But uh, a horrible situation. I, this man almost died and only to be deported by the same government who, I mean, really wasn't looking out for anybody. And, uh, yeah, it's a sad scenario. And, again, using you know New Orleans historically, same kind of thing with the American Fruit Company, right? They brought in the workers. You're talking about Dole? Like, you well, said fruits? used to be the American Fruit Company okay. in the, what was it, 1950s, 1940s. That's part of the reason why there is such a hunter, large Honduran population in New Orleans is they had their plantations in Central America. The New Orleans was the big port to bring in bananas and everything. And so they would bring in workers as well okay. from, the, from you know, Honduras primarily. And that's how workers started coming in. That's how you started to develop this Honduran population in New Orleans was by having this connection to Honduras through the American Fruit Company. Again, exploitative labor, right? 
an American company going into Central America, taking over this land, not kicking out the people, exploiting that land, getting the fruit of it, selling it here in the U.S. to make a profit, yeah. using the labor there, bringing that labor here, using that labor here as well, and then doing the same as they do with the land, dismissing it. Right? Same thing with Owen, to use him as an example, building up the city, building, helping build a hotel in downtown New Orleans, it collapses, and then the next thing you do is you deport him when he's trying to speak out. Yeah. The, the workers become disposable within the context of what we're seeing. Yeah, that's, man, thank you for, I mean, saying that so eloquently. Um, now, there's a gentleman who's still in the rubble right now. I think there's two. There's two, that's correct. Uh, but one of them, um, I'm not too sure. I never got the full details. His family's still, they're still here, correct? I don't know the details about, I mean, two of them, I know one of them was, you know, prominent. He had, he was a church member and like the church has come out and his family, his children. I believe the other one who's a Mexican national, um, I don't know that his family's here. I haven't, at least I haven't heard anything about his family okay. being in the U.S. Oh, uh, yeah, it's, all, it's been, I haven't reached out myself. I, like, I just don't want. I could imagine people just on them asking questions constantly, and I would hate to be reminded daily that my uncle, father, brother, cousin is still up there with zero regard. And uh, allegedly it's supposed to come down by the end of uh, this month, May. Uh, They have the plan in action, and so we'll see exactly. Should have been doing that. Um, Man, okay, so I'm very thankful that you're clearing all this stuff up. Uh, I got to ask you some fun questions, though. So... Honduran food. <laughs> Do you like their tamales? Be honest. Don't lie. I mean, I love my Mexican tamales, <laughs> obviously. I, Mexican tamales are, it's a completely different type of tamales. Yes. I, I tried telling people, like, oh, these tamales are good. I was like, I've had better. I, They're uh, not bad. They're not just, bad. It's a different tamale. It's just I not had, this dude made me a tamale category. one time, and he threw the whole chicken bone in there. Like, the whole chicken yeah. with the thing, and I'm like. I mean, in Mexico, we have tamales veracruzanos, which are that style within the yeah. banana you know, leaf and whatnot. It's okay. just a different tamal. Different, yeah. I was mad when I bit into it and there was a big-ass bone in my mouth. <laughs> 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 I was not pleased that day. Uh, okay, so Honduran culture. It, it's definitely molded New Orleans in a certain way. Have you been to Mo's Chalet? To where? Mo's Chalet. I have not. No? no. Okay, on a Sunday night. This is in Metairie, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's popping. It. Oh, been. man, yeah. Good times. I go out there and... It's they're not they're playing reggaeton they're playing like some bachata they're playing good Latin music, and then it just you see the culture and like the people and I forget I'm in New Orleans I really do for a second I just look around and I mean there's people just dancing drinking socializing and being just uh, happy that they're amongst their people and Mm -hmm. it's uh it's it's very nice to see different cultures in in different parts of the world um, together and being joyous. I've uh, I've had the pleasure to be in to be traveling the country and see little Latino spots, see little uh, Ethiopian uh, gatherings, uh, Muslim people when they when they pray. So, I mean, this big melting pot that we're in the United States, it's filled with different cultures, religions, uh, people of different faces, colors, backgrounds. And now we're, we're fighting each other for these imaginary spaces and because we cross these lines who are through a government saying oh you can't cross this place without this kind of paperwork or you can't work here without this uh head nod from whatever company and is there any real regulation for people who are just trying to have an honest living other than going through the the long process and people don't realize how long the process is to get uh documentation to work here and to become a United States citizen, uh, my friend up there, Kim, but not Kardashian, she's a very, very, very friendly uh, lady who was on our show um, a few weeks ago. And she was from another country um, in Europe and came here, did the paperwork. She said it took seven to eight years, I believe, seven to ten, if I recall, and on and off just doing paperwork. Now, the common guy, like I, I, I think I'm the common person. I don't have the funds to even try to become a United States citizen if I wanted to. And then you're you're really shortchanging these people who are working in the farms, working undocumented um, construction sites, all uh, galore. So many illegal operations. I, I could, I guess, I would have to say. Um, 
and they're not getting tax forms. They're not getting 1099s. Some some are, but a majority are not. And there's a process to pay your taxes, and a lot of folks that are undocumented do pay their taxes. Yes. Right? There's a... So this is the this is the, um, I guess hypocritical part of the government to where it says you can't come in, you can't work here, but if you do, still pay us taxes. Like we'll definitely take your money. Right. That's for sure. Um, the Social Security Agency has a no match fund, so if they have a Social Security number that's being used, that is not matching with a Social Security number that they've issued, they will still take those taxes that are being reported by the employer. So if someone's using a false Social Security number, yeah. they'll still take those taxes and they'll put them into a fund that's called the No Match Fund to keep Social Security rolling. I did not know this. There's also something that's called, at the IRS, there's something that's called an ITIN, an Individual Tax Identity Number, which is for somebody who doesn't have a Social Security number, you can get your ITIN and pay taxes, which a lot of undocumented folks do. They track how much money they make and they pay taxes based at the end of the year like everybody else does and they do their reporting and they file their taxes and they do that whole process because again it's not illegal to work in the united states without permission it's illegal to not pay your taxes the irs will definitely come after you i Um, know ask al capone (laughs) Uh, right he didn't go down for dealing drugs he went down for not paying his taxes so the these things exist and the government has a system set up to make sure that they're getting paid while at the same time telling we don't want you here even though we recognize we need you here yeah right for population growth for the first time the united states has hit a negative population growth Mm. for the first time in its history we're starting to see the united states not create as many children as would be needed in order to keep the employment going at the levels to to sustain the economy the economic growth which brings us to a conversation of do we want the economy to continue growing that way and if so, we need immigration because native-born citizens are not having as many children as immigrants do. And, they, and you're not building – the only way to really build the population is by bringing more people in, importing people. Right? Yeah. And so we need immigration if we want our economy to grow the way we've currently had it. Yeah. And if we want to, that to continue, then we need immigration. We also need immigration for innovation, for different Absolutely. perspectives, totally for understanding the world. Right, yeah. we don't live in this world now where we just work in the U.S. Like, there's this—it's an international discussion, yeah. and having people from different areas, having those discussions and those perspectives and that diversity, is very useful and helpful. Not only from making yourself grow as personal growth, but from a business perspective, you want to understand these different markets that you can tap into. Absolutely, yeah. I think Coca-Cola is one of the best examples. They yeah. understood, like, they it was homegrown, homemade, and then, oh, well, look, these people in Dubai want to drink our stuff, and people in Iceland and Greenland, and then it just expanded. Another another case in point, McDonald's. Home, made in California. <laughs> Shout out to Khalifas. <laughs> and then just grew, thanks to, uh, I, I, who's the founder? Uh, I can't remember. Roy Kroc. Thanks to Roy Kroc, uh, expanded the businesses all across the states, and then now they are. They're in Japan. They're in Europe. They're in Australia. McDonald's, another big franchise that has grown because of understanding other cultures, and it's it's powerful that what you learn just experiencing another culture. Uh, I've had the very fortunate experience that, well, again, live in the border city, so I know Mexico and America, and then I have the experience to go to Japan different culture didn't speak the language i like sushi but that's the extent of japan that i knew and i was so blessed to have to spend a year out there and learn actual things from the japanese culture and i have some so much more respect for them and i believe like once you do travel to other locations yeah you understand the culture and their religion their background their food Uh, there's so much you can learn from other people and other lives just by walking just taking a walk outside and getting out of your little bubble and going, and going back to the discussion we had earlier about you know living on the border versus living in the Midwest or in yeah, the Northeast, man. not understanding that, and that's where you drive the fear. Right yeah. when you don't have the exposure, it's a lot easier to be afraid of the other. People fear the what they don't understand. Yeah, yeah. And so unless you're exposed to it and have that context and that contact, then you're yeah, it's easy to manipulate that fear and say, oh no, we need to build a wall and we need to keep people out and you know do all that and we can't let people in. Yeah. So I had seen uh, this ad and I shared it actually yesterday. It was a uh, pandemic is not the place or prison is not the place for a pandemic. Right. Um, that the thoughts were crossing my mind a month and a half ago, two months ago. 
Like, what about the people in the prisons or in the jails? I, I was hearing that they were letting people out of Orleans Parish, yeah. that they were, like, if you're detained or you're uh, arrested, that they were starting to just let people out because I can imagine the germs that are passed around in prisons. I've seen plenty of prison shows and movies. Yeah. And uh, to see, I mean, to wonder if people are going to get sick in that prison and just spread on, uh, I, it's, yeah, I, I would be scared if uh, one of my relatives was arrested and then they spent the night in jail like what what do you got did you catch anything and the same thing is happening in immigration detention um right now nationally well as of april 25th is the last number date the last data of how many detained people there are in the country is what ice gave us and that is just under thirty thousand people are detained in the country by ice i think twenty nine thousand six hundred something is what they said um 881 as of last night have confirmed cases in detention they've tested 1700 a little over 1700 so that's not even they haven't tested all of them so oh, they definitely have not tested everyone yeah, i want and people it's an to over 50 percent rate yeah of confirm, confirmed cases which tells you they're only testing, and from talking to doctors and like seeing yes, what doctors dude, I say, yeah, I was about to get. They're into only this. testing people that are symptomatic. Yeah, that's all they're doing. They're not testing people that come in contact. They're not doing contact tracing. What does the CDC, you know, recommend? Being six feet apart, having face coverings, all that kind of stuff. That's impossible to do when you're sharing a cell with seven and eight other people. Yes. When you're sharing a quote-unquote dorm with 60 other people when you're sharing bathrooms, feeding, you know, toilets, showers, where there's only two cleanings happening on a daily basis when they're supposed to, according to the CDC, right, we're supposed to be cleaning things down more regularly. There's no disinfectant being given to people. No. People don't have soap. They can't buy soap or anything, they can't right? Buy, they, there's no commissary. Donate it. I mean, there is a commissary, but one, money, right? It costs right. money to do it. And two, those items don't necessarily exist in the commissary. They don't exist, right? It's difficult for us out here not being detained and we can oh, go to multiple right. stores yeah, to find this stuff. Breweries are having to develop their own sanit- you know, um, spray and hand, and hand sanitizer and whatnot yes. in order to be able to meet the demand in detention and in prison. What do you... No, that's no. not going to exist. The facility who's running as a private prison trying to squeeze every cent they can out of this it's not going to provide extra cleaning materials no they're making people sign releases and waivers to give them masks like that's what we're seeing in detention is being told basically like okay we'll give you a mask but you need to sign this waiver saying you won't sue us if something happens if you happen to get covid right that's not the way you run a proper sanitation situation. And hence, we've seen these crazy spikes. Here in Louisiana, in Monroe, or near Monroe, um, the Richwood facility has, I think, 64 confirmed cases. Okay. In one detention center that has about 300 people total. Mm. And, that, and again, they only tested people that were They've symptomatic. Only really test, yeah, from what we hear from doctors is, if that's the rate you're working at is over 50% confirmed cases, you're only testing people that are symptomatic. Yes. Like you basically are only testing when you know this person has it. And unlike, like in Louisiana, if you look at the numbers, right, how many people have been tested versus how many have been confirmed, it's it's like, I think 15% or something like that. I don't remember, I I looked at the numbers the other day. I think it's about 15%. That's not 50. Yeah. Right. And that's because we know that Louisiana isn't even testing at high rates like it needs to be. The detention center is most definitely not testing at the rates it needs to be. Jeez. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that is a I think something that everybody overlooks is we're not testing everybody. So all those confirmed cases. Yeah, they're confirmed because they were they came in. I think I'm sick. But then you have people who won't even show any symptoms. They won't have a cough, maybe a slight headache, but they have the virus and then they're passing it on without any knowledge because they're not getting tested or taking the proper precautions with their gloves and masks or sanitizing. Uh, and again, another thing with the, with the contracting thing, with the private prisons running these facilities, ICE reports its employees getting infected, but it doesn't report third-party contractors. So all of the guards, all of the- Oh, dang, I didn't know that. All okay. of the staff at these detention centers are not being reported by ICE whenever they get infected because they're not employees, quote unquote. Mm. They're contractors. 
which removes them from ICE liability. So ICE says, we only have 30-some employees that have been infected, hmm. as opposed to in, um, in Richwood, again, the, the one that's near Monroe, there were, la- two weeks ago, there was a story that came out, two guards there died yes, from COVID. Uh-huh. And, but that ICE most definitely did not report that. They, that's not in their numbers because they're contractors. They don't care about it, or yeah. they don't report it because it doesn't make them. It would make them look bad. Absolutely, yeah, look bad. You don't want. To, yeah. So we know this is larger, not only within the facilities themselves, but again, we're talking about rural areas in Louisiana, where basically ICE is bringing this thing. Yeah. Right, because you're now having people go to work, leave work, bring it into the facility, let it spread in the facility. Another guard gets it. He leaves work goes to his family and so it's spreading in the community at a larger rate because ice is having these facilities open and there's no and they're not tracking it. absolutely a yeah. domino effect man uh, yeah. like to the to the point it's a domino effect um so one of the last things before we have to get off is i was reading uh defund ice yes okay please tell me <laughs> please tell me a little bit <laughs> <laughs> so ICE, um, as you stated earlier, right, 9-11 created ICE. We've lived without ICE before. Yeah. When people say, oh, we, it's existed, I, we can't defund ICE. Yes, we can. We've had a world without ICE. Yeah. We can go back to a world without ICE. ICE is basically an unchecked rogue agency. There's really no way to really check them. Our congressmen tried to look into it, right? Our congresspeople tried to look into it, tried to get details. Right now, Cedric Richmond, we're on, we're on weekly conversations with his staff about getting information about these detention centers, and they just don't respond. They, they always, every year, they go above budget, and it gets paid for. Yeah. Um, it just gets pulled from anywhere. They're basically the police without any oversight, which is very problematic yeah. when you have someone who has that kind of power oh, yeah, to be able man. to arrest people, to take them to detention, to be able to handcuff them, to carry guns, to be under the color of law doing these things, but without really having any consequences or without really having any supervision or oversight. And that's the problem that we have with ICE. It's that you need to defund it because the only way they can continue is by having this funding, yeah. right? If they don't have the funding, they can't have detention centers, they can't arrest people, they can't pay for all of this surveillance that they do, they can't randomly show up in the middle of the street and pull somebody out of a truck because he happens to have a bunch of painting supplies in the back and they think he's undocumented because he's leaving his house at six in the morning in Mid-City, hmm. okay. which has happened to various of our clients. I know that, all right. There was a case, there's a case in Ascension Parish that our colleagues from the ACLU have taken on a U.S. citizen kept in prison for ICE to come and pick them up because they thought he wasn't a citizen. Hmm. You shouldn't have to prove you're a citizen. If they're trying to deport you, they should have to prove you're not a citizen as opposed to you having to sit in jail because they think you're not a citizen because you're brown and your last name happens to be Lopez. Hmm. I hope they're getting money. I hope they're soon. Hopefully he'll, he'll get a, a big... But the point is, <laughs> we should not give ICE money. No. Because they continue to create... And they create these arrangements with local police. Yes, they do. I, the police, yeah, I can The attest local to that. police exceed their authority and start, you know, or maybe continue to racially profile. We've seen the bad apples on the police side as well. Yeah. There's plenty of evidence of that as well. And then when you have them combining with ICE and working together you create a greater situ- structural systemic problem that needs to be dismantled. Man, that's unfortunate. Um, now, so you're saying completely defund ICE. I've, uh, I've read that they have a, a department, or maybe, I, I'm, maybe I'm misquoting them. Uh, there's this, I guess, small unit or detachment with ICE that uh, looks for um, ch- people who are part of children uh child trafficking child trafficking sex exploitations mm-hmm. anyone like doing pretty much kitty porn uh right. or things of that nature the fbi also does that okay so do they do you know they work together or they do okay but again we don't need ice to do that we have the fbi the fbi can create a task force the fbi and the fbi has to respond and is has oversight and has a director who has to respond to congress and who is I mean, depending on the situation, can typically be open or has more, Congress has more power of doing that type of oversight. Okay. It's more of a, what I would consider a legitimate law enforcement um, system that exists and that has rules in place and regulations that it abides by. ICE is constantly flouting the law 
and getting away with it. Yeah. And that's a problem. And um, do, do we even have any records? Is there any documentation of exactly how many people have been detained and then let go? Or, uh, I mean, do we, is there anyone, like if I'm the common person, I want to find out how many actual detainees have been arrested by ICE and then deported? Or how many have been detained a, and then let go? There's a um, there's a website that's run by Syracuse um, Syrac- University in Syracuse. It's called TRAC T R A C. Um, tran- I don't remember exactly what it all stands for. Transactional something access clearinghouse. But if you type in track in Syracuse. Syracuse on Google, it'll be the first thing that pops up. They they track a lot of this data from ICE from the immigration courts. They try to track as much as possible as what is publicly available. It's still, even within that, and somebody who's dedicated to doing that, it's still limited the information you can get from it. Congress has very limited information they get from ICE. Yeah. These are, this, again, they're fairly much a rogue agency that doesn't respond to any kind of oversight and constantly goes beyond what they're allowed to do. And again, the only way to shut that down is by Congress exercising its power to say, we're not going to give you money. And that's what we think should happen. Defunding ICE. All right. Um, so we got like four minutes left. I want to give you the last few. How can people get a hold of you? What do they have to do in order to get involved? And where, what other help can you provide to the New Orleans community? So people can get a hold of us. Our website is isla, I-S-L-A, immigration.org. Again, that's isla, I-S-L-A, immigration.org. Um, you can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's at Isla Immigration is our handle, I think, for both, for all of those. Um, and you can contact us either through there, sending us messages, sending us a message through our email, I mean, through our, through our website as well. We're checking those regularly. And if you want to get involved, um, feel free to just contact us through any of these, of these sources and we can, we'll follow up. We'll tell you what we have availability as a way to get involved and then we'll work from there. Like I said, right now we have this parole project to try to get folks released from detention on humanitarian basis. And then we also have opportunities for doing research and collecting documentation um, necessary to bring you know, either lawsuits or to help fight someone's individualized case. In the city, if anyone ever needs any information regarding immigration, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, my email directly is hlopez, L-O-P-E-Z, at eastlyimmigration.org. You can contact me there if you need any information. Um, if you want to get any kind of know your rights or any kind of presentation or any information regarding immigration, we're always willing and able to have a conversation with the community. Okay. If I have a buddy who I want to, like, who's afraid to come out, I can a second party contact you? Yeah. Okay. So we get that all the time. Family yeah, yeah, yeah. members, friends contacting us. Again, we primarily focus on people that are in detention. That's our main focus because there's so little representation yes. for people that are detained. But um, either we could direct you, we could find ways of helping that person. We have other colleagues that we work with um, in other organizations. You know, Congreso at the Worker Center, Nuestra Voz does a lot of good work in the community. Um, Familias Unidas, um, various alas. There's these other organizations in the city that work on different sub sub areas of immigration or overlap of immigration and social services. And so we can always connect people with other folks that can help them with the work. And Mr. Lobos, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Very educational. I learned a lot. Uh, I'm definitely going to be passing on the word. Uh, there's definitely a, I, a strong presence of people I know who could use your help and just understanding these immigration laws and ICE and uh, it's it's great what you're doing for New Orleans. It's great what you're doing for the people that don't have a voice, uh, especially in, you said, eight individual prisons uh, or detention centers. Yeah. Eight detention centers in the state of Louisiana and very little to none uh, being represented of the people. And uh, you're doing a great thing, man. I applaud you. I'm definitely going to be sharing your information. Uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, it's Isla Immigration, I-S-L-A, Immigration, I, I found him on, uh, of all things, Instagram. I was just scrolling. I was like, this looks informative. Matter of fact, you know, I was uh, at Galaxy, and yeah, I, uh, that's one of the restaurants who was uh, going to be donating. Yeah. So, yeah, shout out to Galaxy Tacos doing great things right here on St. Claude. Uh, a bunch of other restaurants I saw in another, yeah, I mean, I, I believe over 20 some of I um, counted correctly. We, I think we had about 50 or some earlier. Last, last summer in August, they had a barbecue, a backyard barbecue in City Park where they did a big fundraiser for us. Um, where they just all the proceeds went to Isla, um, which was great. 
Yeah. You know, we obviously the city runs off of hospitality. Hospitality runs off of immigration work. <laughs> it makes sense that they go hand in hand. Yes, absolutely, man. And uh, one thing I want to say: your shirt <laughs> will trade racists for refugees. It's true. I will <laughs> gladly. <laughs> Likewise, sir. All right, Mr. Lopez. I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, this is Boozer's Radio Show, ninety point three FM, the voice of the people. You guys stay tuned in Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and uh, we'll have some more music right after this uh, short break. Thank y'all for listening. <laughs>